Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Okay, the acres and acres again, as we say, of tar and cement. In fact, I came across them on public transport this morning. I decided it wasn't the morning for riding a bike. Uh, and Mark, you uh, public transported, did you? I did. I very rarely ride a bike. I'm very mm. bad. Mark Allen's here. Andy's here. Megan, who's become a new member of the team, uh, she had a she had an appointment today, which was organised before she came on the team. She's been here for three weeks or so, uh, but she'll be back next week. So. Yeah. That will be good. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's um, third Wednesday, it's Housing Day, and we're going to talk uh, in the show to two people. One is Howard Morosi from the um, Friends of Public Housing Group, about obviously about the current plans to virtually commercialise and privatise pub- public housing, public housing estates. And uh, Shane McGrath's coming in today from the Housing with the Aged Action Group to talk about, well, we'll prob- they'll overlap a bit and we'll talk to both of them about that, but there's other housing issues that we'll talk to Shane about as well. There's Should be a, good. Quite a few going on, including, of course, um, fire problems and all those sort of things which are, uh, which are going on at the moment as well, uh, including the, the one last week, I, um, we might get someone from the, that area to talk about it in a week or so, but the fire last week, and I'll pour some tea, that's a good idea because we... Otherwise, we'll have people out there on cold turkey. There we are. Cold turkey over tea. Yeah, that's no good. No, absolutely not. Um, there we are. Cup one. You can have that one. I am. Thank, Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. And cup two. That'll be me. And he doesn't drink What any. type of tea is this today? This is um, Vietnamese green tea today. Nice. Oh, nice. Vietnamese green tea. Um, the, yeah, the, the fire last week that um, you know, came across lots of parts of Melbourne... And um, someone who lives in South Melbourne, one of our listeners, in fact, yesterday was telling me that she uh, she could smell it quite strongly, mm. and so did people in St Kilda. So I suspect it went across that part of the world. That was the prevailing wind or whatever, because mm. I didn't cop it in Brunswick, to my knowledge. Anyway, I didn't didn't I certainly didn't sense I it. I didn't notice it in Preston. No, so uh, it. Um, so I presume it was, uh, but it certainly went over parts of Melbourne. But um, interestingly enough, since then, and it was only in the last day or two, the name of the company was named called, well, well can't think, SDP or something, you know, um, the recycling place. But the interesting fact was that the the son of the owner, a family called Italiano, said that the recycling equipment injury, that it broke down in February right. and it still hadn't been fixed. So since February, all the stuff going in for recycling was being stockpiled. Is and that that's, right? And that's what caught fire. Really? So if the thing had worked, and then later he talked about the, about how they keep updating their equipment in modern times, and I thought, well, if you're updating it, how come it's been there's lying there since February and you haven't been able to use it? Well, exactly. Um, Anyway, that's just a by the by, but that that will probably come out in inquiries. But it was the stock five months or whatever it is since February of stockpiling, 
that was burning last week. Yeah. Now, yeah. if they had if they had the bloody thing working properly, that stuff would have been recycled and gone, and it wouldn't have been there to burn. Well, that's right. And I read in other states it wouldn't have happened because there are stricter rules and regulations in place to prevent stockpiling like this at recycling plants. So yeah. why is why is Victoria always behind on these issues? Well, um, um, again, take that as rhetorical. Well, I? yeah, take that as rhetorical. <laughs> Just um, a fact. Um, you know, climate change, uh, a serious problem for the world, do you think? Very serious problem mm, for the world. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, those fires like last week, cladding war, refugees, they're all major problems, aren't they? Major problems, yeah. But the worst problem I can think of in the whole world facing humanity is the threat to the stability of a supply chain from pit to port in mining. That's devastating news. Devastating news. Mm. Well, um, sadly... Um, the um, CFMEU, the MUA, the Maritime Union and the Textile Clothing and Footwear Union are close to amalgamating. Now, we know the, the latter, the, the clothing mob, they get in the way of these outworkers who um, you know, work a few hours a day, 24 or so, for a little bit of money from the big labels and suggest the workers should be better off, paid more and um, treated better. I mean, it's, you know, it's getting in, that's getting in between the win-win situation between employer and employees, we know. Well, with this amalgamation pending, the Australian Mines and Metals Association said the industry was incredibly concerned it would give the militant CFMEU and MUA greater capacity to inflict economic damage on the sector. There is no doubt that the stability of the supply chain from pit to port is at risk if this merger is allowed to go ahead. Now, you know, that, that, isn't that the greatest threat? I, I can't think of a bigger threat. I'm just gutted. I'm going to have to change my whole approach to activism now and move away from climate change and move towards mm. the pit to port. Pit to port pit is to the go. Pit mm. to port is yes. the go. And yes. uh, but why? God, that what a threat there. I mean, it's serious, isn't it? It is serious. It is. Thank it God, is. though, the same sector, and we you know that it can the same sector, and it's great because I know on this program we are occasionally a little critical of the private sector. Oh, just occasionally. Yeah, yes. occasionally. Yeah. Uh, but it's great when you know that there is an element of the private sector that puts itself long last and thinks only of the public cause, the public good, and the public purse. Well, that's that's the whole philosophy of it, isn't it? That's Surely. it. I'll have a sip of tea. This is the um, this in fact is the Minerals Council of Australia. Now they point out that the royalties collected by states. Uh, for the product that they take out of the earth, which belongs to everybody before, you know, mm, etc. Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah. The, the royalties they pay the states uh, are taken into account in GST breakup, so those states lose money on GST. And if they didn't take the royalties off the, off the mining companies, they'd actually be better off because they'd get more in GST than they get in royalties and GST combined. Hmm. So altruistically, the most altruistic thing I've heard in a long time, the Minerals Council says, if you don't take royalties of us and we can use them as, say, profit, uh, then you'll be better off the public person. The pu- so isn't it, I mean, have you ever heard of such altruism? It's <laughs> interesting, isn't it? <laughs> they yes. would have had someone working on that for a long, they long time. They must have done, yeah. <laughs> now, this one here, I never. I don't like quoting Andrew Bolt because Bolt through the head because I think he, he thrives on causing controversy and enjoys being attacked. Mm. Uh, but 
sometimes you've just got to. Sometimes you have to. <laughs> Last week's decision by Coles and Woolworths, which I, su- I suggest probably was not, either, not for altruistic reasons either, the banning of plastic bags, but to, to make them look good. Mm. Nonetheless... He says this is one of the greatest attacks on on on, on privacy on on human rights ever ever ever. Um, he he says, why do these same customers take more than what three point two billion of these bags at Woolworths checkouts a year? No wonder they do. These bags are so obviously handy. First to take home the shopping, and then to wrap food, line bins, bag scraps, or even pick up dog droppings. Um, but so many claims by green groups of plastic bags choking even whales have proved wildly exaggerated. Moreover, a Productivity Commission study estimated just 0.8%, percent of these single-use bags become litter. Really? Is that right? That's right. Well, he, he, he's, he never gets his facts wrong. No, of course and not. And those going to landfill have stabilising qualities, helping with leach, and he quotes it, leach ale minimisation and minimising greenhouse gas emissions. The study even warned that banning them could be worse for the environment. <laughs> <laughs> he says it. In 08, wow. the UK Environment Agency found the single-use bags were actually the most environmentally friendly sort to make, particularly if people use them more than once. So he's got single use and more than once in the same sentence, which is interesting. For a start, making and transporting these flimsy bags produces less carbon dioxide, waste and other byproducts than does making paper bags or the reusable and recycled bag, a plastic tote bags you'll now be encouraged to buy and on he goes. I mean, like he, he actually says the climate, not only is climate change not happening, the reverse is happening. I mean, oh, I know. But, and then um, he uses, he denies climate change, but then he uses climate change as his reasoning for whatever keeping the bags, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, mm. here's an interesting one. Um, Chinese um, Chinese uh, restaurant chain Tina's Noodle Kitchen in Box Hill and Dainty Sichuan in the Melbourne CBD, and I think they've got a few there spreading around the place a bit. Um, the The owner of these... Um, has been caught underpaying, exploiting overseas workers. Uh, they were caught underpaying um, 30 employees more than $31,000 in just two weeks following a joint raid of, the, raid of the business with the Immigration Department. The owner-operator, Yi Xiao, who is husband to chef and co-owner Tina Lee, is facing court charge with aiding and abetting the underpaying, etc. And the accountant has been charged as well. The employees, mostly on working holiday and student visas, were allegedly paid flat rates of 10 to 22 an hour despite working six or seven days a week and more than 10 hours a day. And further down in the story, it says some workers allegedly received less than half of what they were entitled to. 17 were underpaid 18190 at Dainty Sichuan and 13 were underpaid 12805 at Tina's Noodle Kitchen during the two-week period targeted for audit. orders. Workers allegedly received pay slips that did not record. It goes on all the things they, they did and the rip-off. But the interesting part of the story is that um, this the, peop- the, the, comp- the family running this donated $80,000 to Robert Doyle's mayoral campaign last year. So there you are. There you have the it. The largest corporate donation in Victoria's local government elections. There you have it. So their underpaid staff can rest assured that they're indirectly subsidising. <laughs> the money went well. The money yes, was the well, money were well, yes, well spent. Right. It's yep. Going toward wrecking the Victoria market. Yeah. Yes. Win-win yes, yes. situation. That's all right. Around that's there. right. And I suppose we're thrilled to know we're now going to have a uh, not only 
uh, police, armed police everywhere around Melbourne and on every street corner to protect us, but armed trained killers, armed military people are going to come in now and... Yes, that's the latest plan by the government. Is that right? Yes, well, in terrorist situations, they send the send the the, the army in. You know. Right, right. Yeah, send in the marines, as the Yanks would say. Mm. So that that makes us all feel a bit bit more secure. I would have thought more secure. Because whenever yeah. I see those people get around with their guns and they're fully armed, I feel I'm now secure. I, I I generally do. Well, if you live in certain cities in America, you mightn't feel all that secure. No, no, no you really no. wouldn't. Say. I assume they must have mistaken her for a black. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, quite, yeah, quite, yeah, quite, quite, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, you kind of hope they have um, a lot more experience, mm. and uh, yes, it's very sad, very well, sad. Well, it's tragic, but, um, yeah, we shouldn't have been, we make fun of it, but I mean, it's tragic, but nonetheless, it's, um, you know, the the big fuss in Australia now is because a white white Australian woman was killed. Well, quite, um, quite, yes. When, exactly. um, you know, and of course the same cities where the black bloke was shot in the cars, the news have been pointing out in the telly news, a couple of them, there was one where they just shot the bloke through the window when he was, uh, and he's, his partner yeah. was in the car with him. And that's, like, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. It just goes to show that if we look at what happens in America, why we should be fearful here in Australia. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. And speaking of that previous item about the uh, rip-off of the workers, uh, nonetheless, despite they were ripped off, despite the fact that wage growth will remain in the doldrums for at least another six months. Uh, Deloitte Access Economics, which is one of the, you know, the big silly companies, um, it, its latest quarterly report says wages are unlikely to start growing substantially until next year, and they're the lowest ever at the moment. Wage growth is the lowest ever since they've been keeping records. So, uh, Well, they, fortunately, mm-hmm. house prices are going down and the cost of living is going down as well, so it doesn't matter, Kevin. Yeah, yeah we might raise that later when we talk about housing costs, actually. <laughs> <laughs> And rents and such factors. We, we just might bring it up. But we'll no, see we may we... mention it, if we've got time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the, also, the, um, you know, that recent Uluru conference of Indigenous leaders um, said they wanted a voice, you know, a par- virtually a parliament of, of Indigenous people, yes. speaking of blacks as we were previously. And um, it's gone to the government, but both Turnbull and Shorten um, uh, are saying that um, they they probably accept the idea of having a separate black group to but, but Parliament will have overriding veto over anything they decide. So, so are you of, saying this so could be, be somewhat of a tokenistic gesture? Well, Kevin? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just <laughs> suggesting that um, it's good to see that um, the rest of us have a say because I mean we don't want blacks determining their own situation. Well, of course not. No, no, no of course just, not. We just uh, give them give them a little no. bit of carrots and a string and yeah. uh, keep keep yeah. going with the game we've been playing. I made the point, in fact, that you know, in the week that was this week, because we now they're also talking about Australia getting in. I think it's um, that's idiot from no, sorry, that wonderful parliamentary person from Adelaide, Christopher Pine, <laughs> Christopher Payne, and the, he, um, he wants us to get involved in the space race. And I made the point that this is not really a waste of money because it's about we're going to need to find a new planet shortly anyway. And so it's good value for money that we find somewhere else to go when we've destroyed the one we've got. Is that what he said? No, no, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you yeah, mean. That's, yeah. that's my conclusion. Yes, well, quite. Some, yes, some people yes. are suggesting it's a bit of a waste of money to get involved in this. Well, one would have thought that we should focus on saving the planet we've got first before we start getting too but, involved but in given, space. But given we're destroying it anyway, let's go and destroy someone else. I don't think we should be allowed. If we can't look after this planet, I don't think we should be allowed to get another but one. But then if we um, – I raise that because I thought if we get there and there's, it's actually – 
you know, there were actually other beings there of some sort. Mm. Uh, we've got to hope one that they're not, they're not, they don't treat climate refugees like we treat climate Quite. refugees. Yes. Um, but secondly, we could overcome the whole problem by simply declaring the planet terra nullius. Yes. And telling whoever's there they don't even exist. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. What do you reckon? That's the answer. Well, we've, that's 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 been done before. Yes, on, on the Earth, we're we're here in Australia, we have so, done it. You know, and we've yeah, done it. Yeah, and so. by, well, that previous report I read out, we're still doing it. Uh, or quite exactly, <laughs> yes. it's ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. You know, Christopher Pine also said recently that he wants Australia to become an arms exporter, and he actually yes, emphasised yes, the Middle right. East. Yes, yes, as one of the places we should export arms to. We've certainly exported a fair bit of violence over there. We certainly have. Yeah, we've certainly practiced with uh, those weapons. And quite, well, the, quite. But, yes. to, I mean, to, to think that there are still people suggesting that selling arms abroad... Oh, I'd just give in. I'm getting a bit cynical, actually, yes, to be and, quite frank. And Israel, Israel sold billions and billions of um, train-killer merchandise to India last week as well when the Indian Prime Minister was there. Ah, oh, there we go. It seems when you go to these places, you, get, you end up buying... Lots of stuff like when 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 what's his name the idiot Trump went to uh, Saudi hundred billion of uh, arms sales Netanyahu well the Indian bloke comes to he went to Israel didn't he but uh, whatever he went back with another you know mm. billions again of mm. arms that he'd bought which is good that should mm. that should assure peace in the area well at least in the Middle East if you know that you're going to be um, buying arms off America at least you know that you won't get banned from entering into America for being a Muslim so no unless they turn against you then they'll then they'll have you banned internationally for having them oh yes yes that's true yeah, that's yes, right. that's yes, right. yes, yes, yes so it depends. Because um, most of the weapons they they object to were actually sold by them in the first place. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, you couldn't make this up, could you? <laughs> no, 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 it's true. It's bloody true. Tonight at between six and eight um, at Brunswick Library in Dawson Street. I think people will know that Brunswick Library. You go, we must be, have to go on the, that side building, obviously, um, to get into the, at that time. Six and eight at the. Um, Library, Dawson Street Tower. That's the entrance anyway. I go there all the time. Um, there's a one of the the Co- Brunswick Coburg Anti Conscription Commemoration campaigns been running a number of functions. As you probably know, there was a all day Saturday one a few weeks ago that I went to, um, and it commissioned artist and poet Matt Blackwood to create a new artwork entitled Yes No for the foyer of the library to commemorate the anti conscription campaigns of WW1. It's the 100th and we know that's the, the, the second referendum. Actually, was December, and it's going to be December this year is the second referendum. Um, Blackwood says, I'm fascinated with stories that are experienced and linked to the places where these stories are set, no matter how magnificent or mundane. And the artwork imagines stories from Brunswick and from people on opposite sides showing the conscription debate. And the reason Brunswick Coburg got such a big campaign going is because they were, the, they were one of the centres of the whole anti-conscription mm. movement 100 years ago. And so... Tonight at the library, the commemoration will begin with the official opening of his Yes, No artwork by Councillor Sue Bolton. And well, I think everyone on 3CR knows Sue, and she's been on this program, of course, and will be followed by refreshments and a talk by local historian Dr Val Noon, who's also well known to us. He used to present on the, um, the Connolly Irish program here oh, as well right? and other things, but he's, you know, he's an historian. Val, he spoke at that conference the other week I was at and discuss more within the conscription vote 1916-17. So that's tonight if anyone wants to go between 6 and 8 at the library in Brunswick. So, um, yeah, that should be good. Good stuff, good yeah. stuff. Yeah, Val, I've known Val since I was 8 years old, you'll be pleased to know. Is that right? Yes, Why and he was 11. He was 11. Uh, he took me to 
The first day I went to Dallas Sale when I was eight, um, oh. from living then in Bentley McKinnon to Melbourne on the train and things, Val lived three streets, two streets away in the noons, and um, he took me on my first days. Uh, oh, there uh, you go. Yes, he was, oh. he was a big boy. And just, just to finish up before we go to our, um, our first guest, um, just, just want to raise the point that Goldman Sachs this week is saying one of the top investment picks in the whole world is Transurban, our wonderful freeway company. Oh, great. Yes, yeah. big money in freeways. Isn't yes. that good to know? Well, we are putting 50,000 more cars onto the road every <laughs> yes, year. Yes, yes, so. I just thought I'd mention that. And uh, having, yeah. having mentioned all that rubbish we've just talked about, um, we'll, um, go to, um, we'll go to our first guest. Rightio, and Howard Morosi's on the line. Just before we go to Howard, I've just found the cutting that tells me that company's called SKM Recycling Business. Um, and it says it, it found the waste had not been sorted out of the Kuru plant since February when a major electrical fire destroyed processing equipment. And um, so there you are. And further down, he talks about the need to invest in necessary infrastructure to do it all, but he, uh, the one they've got didn't work too well. Howard, just uh, some good news on the housing front in case you... Because I know you're going to tell us some pretty depressing news. But some good news is that Ryan Stokes, who's the scion of the um, Channel 7 uh, um, million billionaire who runs Channel 7, he's just flogged his Walsh Bay two-bedroom penthouse for $9 million uh, and bought another joint up the road for $15 million. So housing isn't going too badly for some people, obviously. That's Kerry's son, isn't it? That's Kerry's son, yeah. Well, it yeah. just shows what you can do if you get yourself born to the right person. That's right, it? that's right, exactly. That, that's the real solution of the housing problem. You're not suggesting it's his talent that got him there? It's... No, I'm not <laughs> suggesting his talent got him there, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always suggest that. There you are. <laughs> Look, we do want to talk to you today, and people might be Howard's from uh, Friends of Public Housing. Howard, um, clearly the government's announced eight public housing estates they're going to, they want to virtually privatise. Uh, they say that it'll be, then be a mix of the private developer developing private and uh, also providing public housing. Um, your group's been opposing this for some reason. Uh, yeah, for good reason, actually. Um, it's probably nine estates, I think. And you've also got another couple, which they've uh, already previously um, announced that they're going to redevelop. That's um, Ashburton and and Preston. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at 11 estates, which right. are probably going to be de- redeveloped in the same way. Uh, it's going to affect about 6,000 public housing tenants. Um, that's going to be done by uh, public-private uh, partnership. Um, and the government's claiming it's going to increase public housing by 10%. Um, now, uh, they also talk about, as you said, they're going to actually... Um, uh, take a lot of the open space, something like three quarters of the open space, uh, which is there now, and sell it just sell it off for private houses, um, not even make it social housing. So there's three potentially, you know, three another three quarters of uh, of the land could be used for public housing, and of the one quarter that's staying, there's a strong likelihood, although they won't say it, that it's going to just be given away. Um, to be uh, either managed or owned by uh, the um, private social housing sector and not be devoted to public housing. So, mm. you know, we're, for obvious reasons, we're opposing that. We want it all to be retained um, for public housing. Um, and actually, a lot of it doesn't need to be uh, demolished at all. Um, some of them have been refurbished recently and there's absolutely no reason to, to uh, demolish. 
Um, others are actually in good solid condition, like Ascot Vale. They're um, solid um, brick constructions. Um, and uh, something we, we've spoken to um, uh, the tenants there and have been told that, you know, of the blocks, there's probably only something like, you know, 3% that need to be demolished and the rest can be retained intact. Um, so again, it's a land grab and it's a privatisation push by the state government, but they're not saying that. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of this public housing that they're wanting to demolish is actually more robust than a lot of the new private housing that's being built yeah. today. You know, this is yeah. the irony when you, when yeah. you look at it. Yes, that's actually a really, that's a good way of looking at it, actually. Um, and the other thing is, um, despite a little bit of dilapidation, uh, if when you explain to the tenants that they're actually at risk of um, not going back there, they want to retain what they've got now. And um, uh, there's an option rather than to just go in and demolish en masse to uh, just refurbish gradually um, so that, you know, the tenants... And this has been done before. The tenants have been um, moved out, you know, like temporarily, gradually from a small section. That small section is refurbished. They move them back in and they move on to the next section. Mm. It could be done floor by floor. Um, So, you know, that option's there. And we're actually going to be... We actually are pushing for that. Um, Yeah. We've, we've actually had a lot of really good activity in the last month. That's a lot of good news, actually, about um, the resistance to what the government's planning. Uh, there's been two really well-attended public meetings, um, and uh, the left is actually really starting to mobilise behind the campaign. You know, the left has <clears throat> pretty much been sleeping, um, because, that, as listeners will know, the process has been going on for the last 30 years, but there hasn't been a lot of um, public statements, let alone... Um, actual, you know, uh, on-the-ground action by the, by the socialists, but they're now starting to hold public meetings and they're door-knocking tenants and they're actually mobilising, everyone's mobilising within those groups. I'm talking about Steve Jolly's Socialist Party and um, the uh, Socialist Alliance, particularly uh, Sue Bolton's been very good and very involved on that. Um, so, yeah, two really well-attended meetings, lots of involvement from the left, Pensioners are now starting to get involved with the pensioners group. They've got uh, liaison with the government and they're pressuring the government. So there's a lot of pressure being applied now. And uh, this is really the first time I feel really, really, really energised um, that we can actually um, make a substantial, uh, uh, build up a substantial resistance to what the government's doing. But Howard, if the government and the Minister Foley say that uh, there's going to be more public housing at the end of all this, isn't this win-win for both the private and public sector? Uh, well, it would be, but uh, that's probably not what's going to happen. Oh. Um, people should know that, firstly, um, when the government says it's going to increase uh, public housing, what they tend to do, or what they are doing, is actually demolishing three-bedroom places and replacing the one- and two-bedroom places. So they they falsely claim that there's going to be an increase in public housing, um, but that's only true if you look at the number of units. It's mm. not true if you look at the number of residents that are going to go back. So there'll be we, less people able to be housed um, less people at the end of the slightly more units, yeah. um, which also means that you're going to have dislocation of communities. Um, and that's the other thing people really need to, um, really need to focus on um, because people keep talking about the need to build community you know, in our society, and that's what... That's what one of the main drivers of depression and stress and all that sort of stuff. Well, communities there in public housing. You go and speak to a public housing tenant 
public housing activists and they will tell you about the strength of their community and these redevelopments are actually breaking those communities up. Exactly, exactly. Communities mm. develop incrementally over time. Um, yep. You can't just create a new community by eradicating one th- and then develop something and then expect a new community just to appear. Um, you, when you when you make changes such as this, you're actually destroying, you know, years and years of con- connections that have been built up over time and community connectivity. Yeah, can I just, in passing, it's more than in passing, I guess, but Shane McGrath from the Housing with the Aged Access Group has wandered into the studio as well. And Shane, you're welcome to join in this discussion anytime you like. All right, thanks, mate. Yeah, come into this. Okay, Howard, um, well, so we've got the situation where there's going to be less, but uh, Kate Shaw, who, um, academic, of course, who um, is a part-timer on this program, okay, or she comes on this program occasionally, um, Kate's um, just done some research into this via one of her master's students, and uh, I, I assume he's a North African student because he, he lives in one of the estates that's already been turned into one of these private public things. He's in the public bit, but he became aware of the, of the difference when the people in the new public sector objected to kids playing soccer on the estate, um, and that's got, that got him involved in picking up the issue and researching it. Yeah, that's right. Um, his name is... i uh, just been with him one moment. His name... Is, he was actually um, featured in an article in The Age. Um, yeah. His name's Abdullah Jamar, and he did grow up on the Carlton Estate, um, African. And, yeah, they, uh, Kate actually was interviewed on um, Solidarity Breakfast last yeah. week. If people yeah. want to get the podcast, um, it's a really... It's a good interview. I think it was the week before, actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, she talks about the fact that um, the private residents in the Carlton Estate actually made sure the lights were turned off uh, quite early in the night to prevent uh, the young African um, young Africans from playing basketball. Um, so there's conflict there between the private and the public, and um, it's, it's a gentrification outcome. And, of course, in, in Carlton... Um, in the Rathdown Street estate, that was um, that's one of the prime examples of what's probably going to happen. Uh, again, public housing was demolished, uh, a lot of land was sold off, um, and uh, people were unable to return something like only 20% returned um, to the um, to the site. Mm. And there's a, there's a massive wall between the private and public housing, uh, and yet it was sold as um, something which was going to actually uh, you know, uh, allow social mix between public and private. And Kate has now actually pointed out that, lo and behold, you know, telling us what we already knew, um, we actually don't need to have this social mix. You know, the public housing tenants are quite happy to be in their little communities themselves. And they're not ghettos, you know. It's like we continually get this smearing um, that they're ghettos and they're, you know, in need of our in need of our intervention and help. Well, you know, they're not. They just need their places fixed up when the doors are falling off, you know, and stuff like that. And um, people should be aware that uh, the uh, um, maintenance and, and management was actually done quite well and quite properly till uh, about 10 years ago. If you speak to um, uh, Fiona Ross or, one, or Eileen Hartman, the uh, activists, the public housing tenant activists, uh, they will tell you that um, maintenance really stopped being done properly 10 years ago and that's really a, a strategy and a policy of the government um, and it can be easily turned around just by by 
staffing the, the department properly and having a proper policy of repair. Spending some money. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the community attitude, I mean, the same things happened at Miller's Point in Sydney, which was a perfect place for public housing just above the rocks overlooking the bridge. Uh, which was saved by the Green Bands back in the 70s, Jack Mundy and the BLF. Uh, but recently the government's been selling it off and the local community's been screaming because it is a real community. Uh, but the government's answer is this this allows us to buy more public housing, presumably on the outskirts of Sydney, where those people will be sent to. So it's the same thing happening there. Which is real ghettos. Yes, you know, exactly. That's where you get the massive That's the urban ghettos. sprawl where the, get, the ghettos are. Yeah. And they're, they're you know, taken away from... Um, they're already established community. They're pushed right out of the margins where there's no insufficient transport, insufficient access to jobs. Um, well, they're not walkable communities, so it creates social isolation, which is, as you say, the true, that is what a yeah. true ghetto is. Yeah. yeah. And I also believe that there's no public housing left in um, New South Wales. It's been privatised. I believe that's the case mm. now. Yeah. Shane, um, any comment at this point? Well, I mean, it's interesting you were talking about, like, social mix, the idea of social mix being how they justify this. And it's just, you know, obviously it's a code word and what they mean is, is privatisation, like, literally. But if, if there was a genuine need or desire to, to create social mix, I mean, we used to have that in public housing to a much greater extent when it was housing for low-income workers, not, not, not a priority system that would channel, you know... A, the, the most disadvantaged into public housing. If you want social mix, you need to provide public housing for, for diverse groups in the community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, just, just on that point, Shane, um, Joe Toscano pointed out recently that 20 years ago there used to be about 15, 18% of Victorians living in public housing, mm. whereas now it's down to 3%. So that really illustrates what you're talking about. Now, it's not that long ago when public housing was a major force within the housing sector. And uh, what you talk about in terms of, um, you know, uh, availability of people that wanted it and uh, social mix was actually there. And uh, it's a matter of having the policy to turn it, turn it back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And on the other side of that, the, the federal budget this year, the, they, they came up with a policy on affordable housing, but it's all about handing billions, literally billions, to the private sector. And the private sector says they still haven't gone far enough because <laughs> there's, not, there's not enough incentive there for them to make enough profit. So if you're talking about putting all this housing money into this sort of development, um, build to rent and, um, and a so-called affordable housing, then if that was spent on things you're talking about now, both of you, Shane and um, Howard, uh, it would go a long way to solving the problem, wouldn't it? That's exactly right. Um, and this is what, what the federal government announced was low-interest loans for social housing. Yes, yes. And also, I, can't, I couldn't believe the cut in the capital gains tax for investors in social housing. Um, so they're going to cut the capital gains tax, provide more of a, a subsidy, um, you know, in the same way that they're providing a subsidy in the, in the form of negative gearing. Again, they're actually going to cut capital gains tax for investment in social housing. Uh, no mention of public housing. Um, but it's similar to what Andrews has actually proposed here in the state. Andrews, in the last uh, announcement in February, talked about firstly giving management of 4,000 public housing units to social housing, but also guaranteeing cheap loans to, um, uh, to the social housing sector uh, and providing $100 million in low-cost loans, as well as setting up $1 billion uh, for government and private philanthropic money to go into and using the interest to build and subsidise, to build uh, social housing and uh, subsidise rent. So, you know, they are creating a pretty much a gold mine 
for um, for uh, investors, uh, whereas you don't even need to get the investors involved at all. You know, the government has has uh, can either print money or raise taxes. They're already raising something like $6 billion a year here in Victoria alone on stamp duty. As Joe Toscano talks about, that money can easily be um, put to building uh, pr- public housing. And within 10 years, you can have something like 200,000 200, public housing units in mm. Victoria alone mm. just with that stamp duty money. But I mean, it's been like 20 years of, of governments, like state and federal governments, Labor and Liberal governments, everyone, trying to figure out a way that that the, the market can provide for affordable housing for people to replace public housing. Nobody's come up with a, a way that that can happen because it just fundamentally can't. You know, the, the market's not going to provide decent, affordable housing for no, people. It's, it's not, not going to provide communities. It's exactly. not, yeah, it's not what it does. And every single government tries to figure out a, a new, complicated, clever way that they're going to hand money to the private sector to do this. And it just never happens. It never works. It, it's, and it's just crazy that they keep trying to do this. What is affordable, by the way? Uh, I don't know what their benchmark is. Often they talk about eighty percent of market well, rent. I, mean, I, I think is... it's just I think it's a ridiculous term, isn't it? Because it's oh. it's uh, it's a, uh, like the the fifteen million that um, Ryan Stokes spent is affordable to him, <laughs> but the person sitting on the street in Melbourne um, begging and homeless, um, what's affordable? I would have thought affordable would be twenty five percent of your income, irrespective of what it is. So if yeah. you have an income of zero, you don't pay anything. <laughs> but you know, if you have an income of a hundred dollars a week, you pay twenty five dollars a week. But, and it's yeah. funny, Mark, that that's actually exactly how public housing rents run. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's interesting to compare that to social housing, which probably you all know is is thirty generally thirty percent of people's income plus all of their rent assistance, and the rent is is set in a specific way to maximise the amount of rent assistance they can get. So they just extract this subsidy from the federal government yeah. which you know people talk about doll bludgers but it, it's the people receiving the rent assistance who are really the bludging yeah. off the doll they're the ones receiving the benefit of this money and the rent assistance goes straight to the um yeah. social housing organizations yeah exactly can i just interject a minute because i'll make an announcement there is actually a public housing forum taking place at the seaford community hall which is station street seaford on Sunday, the 23rd of July, from 2 to 4 p.m. And it's Sunday. That's next Sunday, yes. And it's facilitated by the public interests before corporate interests and defend and extend public housing. You can learn more about this if you go to the website, which is www.pibci.net. So that's www.pibci.net. And I've got no doubt that Joe will talk more about that in the next program. I'm sure he will. Um, and him and Howard might now, because I'm sure you know about it as well, Howard. I do. In fact, I'm speaking at it. Oh, right. <laughs> so luckily I know about but, but, it. Um, know? Yeah. Uh, Nina Springle, the Greens MP uh, for that area, is also going to be speaking. Um, and members of the Seaford Housing Action Group as well will be talking at that. Um, so it's kind of more a, um, a general briefing uh for the local community there about public housing and hopefully we'll be able to get more people mobilised there. And uh, it has been organised by Pipsy and I want to give special thanks to Julie Jones and Beryl Jarrett for doing that. Right, okay, down that part of the world. And I'm sure Richard Tate's involved as well, who's now on the Committee of Housing with H Action Group. my boss. Down at Seaford, yeah. Um, Howard, we're going to wind up with you here because um, we're going to move on to some stuff with with um, with Shane. But um, just to finish up, um, you're sounding much more positive. The campaign, where's it go from here? We're going to build, you know, like the sky's the limit now, effectively, uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, once we get enough people, once we get to a critical mass of people actively involved, um, you know, actually informing the, um, the tenants 
and getting them um, mobilised because you know, it's obviously in their interest to resist, we can actually start to bring in unions as well and really spread the whole action throughout the left. So that's where we're going, and I'm pretty confident we're going to be able to achieve something. Terrific. Okay. Fantastic. Well, good luck, and we'll, keep, we'll obviously keep in touch on this one. Yep. Um, right, Howard, thanks for your time today. Great. Thanks, Howard. See you guys. Okay. See you. Thanks a lot. Howard Morosi there from um, Friends of Public Housing and all the other groups I think we've mentioned. Um, Shane, we'll go on to you. Just on, I mentioned Richard Tate, but he's he's one of the new members of the, um, the re-elected, um, or the newly elected committee at Hag, and I think people, listeners who've been listening regularly would know there's been a few problems there. Is it settling down? Has it settled down? Uh, well, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, you know, still working out some of the issues. There's definitely been a, a pretty tumultuous time, mm. but we're really excited about the new committee. It's a, a great mix of, of kind of different kinds of expertise and experience, and uh, we're really happy to, to have them in there. Oh, good. Good, excellent. Okay, now, um, do you, anything you wanted to say specifically today? Because I've got a couple of things I wanted to raise, but you might have some specifics you came in to oh. talk about. Well, not really. I, I thought oh, okay. we were going to talk about uh, the new retirement housing project. No, well, okay, yeah. Well, I, I want to go there. Cause that's yeah. one of the ones I wanted to raise because um, the recent exposés of ABO, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, we've mentioned on this program that they were offered the chance by both the Fairfax Junos and the AB and the um, yes ABC Junos mm-hmm. to respond to what was being put, yeah. but they chose. not not to, but yeah, since, what, what could they say? <laughs> well, since then they've put out their own 19-point statement to the stock exchange, and they've been running full-page ads, a variety of them. How people just love them, apparently, and they've all been—they've been so mistreated in the whole thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty—it's pretty tough running a system, system that's like designed to rot older people, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, for some reason, it's bad publicity when people find out. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Well, their shares plummeted. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, Avio. Is, is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, their, their business practices aren't, you know, s- specific to them. Um, the whole sector is rife with a, with a whole range of different kinds of rorts and exploitation. Uh, and I mean, uh, to say something positive though, um, Hag's just been funded for an extra position to um to to support people in retirement housing. So not only retirement villages, um, but all kinds of things. You know, rental villages, caravan parks, residential parks, the whole spectrum of kind of uh, uh, housing options for for people in retirement. Mm. And um, uh, what what the expose and the the four corners and the age revealed was not news to us because we've been saying mm. this and you've come in mm. and said it. We've been saying this on this program for ages that these places have all these hidden costs, etc., that yeah. just rip people off at a great rate. So it wasn't really news, but at least it's gone out in the public much more than, say, coming across City Limits or your radio <laughs> program. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Jeff um, from Hag the other day was saying it, how how weird it is to him to, to suddenly have the same things that he's been saying for 20 years to be just out yeah. there in the public consciousness. Yeah. The, um, that's, I mean, it's great that that's happening, obviously. Yeah, so where does that go from here? Where do you take it now? I mean, the, the, is, there, is there a campaign around to clean these places up? Or um, Yeah, I mean, you know that HAG has a bunch of working groups that deal with specific kinds of housing. Mm. So we have a caravan residential parks group and a, an independent living units group. Um, traditionally, we haven't really been involved with for-profit retirement villages. It's been kind of outside our remit, but um, the new project we have will be supporting people in some circumstances in for-profit retirement villages. So, yeah, we're, it's definitely an area that we're interested in getting involved in. I mean, the kinds of exploitation in, in for-profit retirement villages are probably slightly different than, than what we traditionally come across. Broadly, in the same sort of scope, though, that their their business models are based on, you know, exactly what was what came out in that seven thirty report and so on, yeah. churning out residents, uh, e- extracting extra money from their estates if, if need be, um, and sort of ruthlessly uh, just dragging things out for as long as they can. 
Yeah, there was some, you know, the exposés were pretty dreadful, but we, they, weren't, they weren't news, I guess, to anybody. But uh, I imagine most, I mean, we, we've also mentioned several times on the program, if you read the financial pages, particularly the financial review in the property sector, we are, almost every day there's articles about the profit to be made from retirement villages mm. and how these big companies are moving into it. Yeah. Um, and big overseas investors are moving in as well. So they see it. Purely, if they see it, which they do, purely as a as a source of profit, yeah. then one can only expect the sort of things that came out in that expose to happen. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's exactly like we were saying before. This is what happens when you try and let the private market provide housing. It, mm. It's not a commodity that that can be that, that you know works the same way as other commodities, where you can just sell it as cheaply as you want. Um, so yeah, I mean, in this whole industry, in this whole area, the contracts, as you know, are just hopelessly complicated, hopelessly. Uh, often confused. I mean, the for-profit ones, you know, are often written by lawyers. But the first matter that I picked up in our new retirement housing program was this contract that some some dude had just written. You know, he just written the contract himself. You know, dozens of pages. Not not, but but specifically and explicitly designed to strip away all the rights from the person signing the contract. It was it was just extraordinary. Well, I mean, he was looking after his own rights. He certainly was. Yes, but that's even I presume it was a he. Yeah, I presume it was as well. Yeah. Um, but so that's that's fair enough. But of course, if a lawyer draws it up, then it's guaranteed to be pretty, um, you know, pretty pretty tied up and uh, and, and unclear. Because yes. um, if you make if you make laws clear, there's no law to uh, <laughs> to, to make money out of. Yeah, the, I mean, some of the contracts get get quite extraordinary and well beyond my sort of pay grade or, or capacity to to analyse. But you know, pe- people are just you know, oh yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it can be quite hard to to find lawyers who can give you good legal advice about a retirement village contract because it's not an area that many of them you know mm. are very familiar with. But having to go to a lawyer also, one would think you know that you'd, if you're dealing with older people, you'd make things as simple as possible for them to move into somewhere like that. They all the ads all tell us how easy it is and how wonderful it is and what a great life you have once you're there. But that you've oh. then got to spend money on a lawyer above everything else just to sort out the mess that they give you and hand you, and a lot of people don't anyway, which is the problem, yeah. um, is a further cost. I mean, it's like there's a fun, there's like this contradiction in the, in the sector where on the one hand, you have these extraordinary, extraordinarily complex contracts that, that you know, nobody can really get their head around. On the other hand, that what you see from management time and time again is just this incredibly condescending, infantilizing approach to dealing with people. You know, the, the number one, the most consistent complaint that comes through to the reti- to us about retirement housing is how infantilizing the managers are, how, yes. how, how badly they talk down to the residents. And, and on the four corners, the group of people around the table at the opening of it, they were saying just that. They yeah. don't want to be treated like kids. Yeah. You know, we are adults. We, we're not stupid, yeah. et cetera. That was the point they well, made. Like whatever they – like when people come to us, it's, it's with a specific problem. You know, the, there's a rent increase that's unlawful. There's a problem with this. There's a – Problem with maintenance, a problem with you know getting evicted, whatever it is. But but the overarching thing is always uh, a combination of feeling infantilized and feeling bullied. Yeah, the um, yeah. bullying from management in, in retirement housing is is a real problem. Gee, it's a it's a serious area, isn't it? The another one that's happened recently, um, well, it's not happened recently, but of course all those houses in the um, on the east west link that were bought up, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which we would argue perhaps should be used for public housing. And when people did occupy them, they were thrown out mm. with the Salvation Army saying they were needed for the needy people. Yeah. Um, as we keep pointing out, we're not sure at what point homelessness stopped being needy. But, <laughs> um, but now the government is flogging them um, 
and so far they've sold 22 million's worth. Um, it's sold 16 properties of another 100 to go yet. Um, again, this seems to be contrary to the conversation we've had earlier in this program. Surely, if you've got a 116, therefore, properties in that area, mm-hmm. on on public transport routes, close to shops, yeah. etc., ideal spot for public trans public housing. Um, why not use it for public housing? Yeah, and I mean, I, I probably, that's probably pretty rhetorical in many ways. But <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, like, I, I'm not totally across this story, but what I what I understood was that those properties were going to be sold essentially below market value because the Liberal Party policy is still that they're going to build the East West yes, Link. Yes, so yes. if you buy one, maybe you're going to get compulsorily acquired again. And uh, so nobody's going to pay a, f- a full like market price. Sorry, I did air quotes in the studio, and none of you can see that. Um, so, so they're just flogging them off cheap when they could be using them for public housing. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and many are being passed in because people are aware of that. Yeah. And the opposition spokesman Michael O'Brien said the Labor government had wasted taxpayers' money. Do you fancy that from the opposition saying that? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Blind Freddy can see that the east-west link will be built and these properties will be acquired again. For Daniel Andrews to sell these homes in a fire sale adds insult to injury, having already wasted $1.24 billion. Now, out of that, we realise one thing, that uh, Michael O'Brien is not aware of the opposition from people with disabilities about the term Blind Freddy. Exactly, yeah. Um, which uh, they find incredibly insulting. It is. Um, and... Um, but nonetheless, also, it's, it's what you'd expect him to say, I guess. But it, it does keep that thing running, doesn't it? That, yeah. So you're right. I mean, why not, therefore, make them public housing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the answer is, I suppose, because... Well, I don't know what the bloody answer is. The answer is that they'd prefer to give the money to their, to to the, to people, to, to the rich. Mm. And, and the other another fact I just noticed here, there's a piece about the Future Fund and, and the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board have um, moved to sell more than $600 million worth of shopping centres around Australia. But the Future Fund is public money put aside. It was set up by Costello, of course, when he was treasurer. But it's really money that's raised that's supposed to be spent on whatever taxes are raised for, which is like housing and transport and welfare and all those things, education, health. Um, and so it's really taxes raised, not spent. And so... Um, you know, there's a number of funds of that sort. So are government surpluses that government carry on about. They're, they're simply money you haven't spent for which they were raised. Uh, surely this is all money that, again, as we've said earlier, could go into all the things we're now talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the problem is the government doesn't want to, buy, doesn't want to provide housing. They, they want to shirk yeah. that fundamental human right responsibility that they have. Yeah. They, there's, money for, there's money for what they want to spend money on. There always is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, well, similar to that, CBUS is one of the you know, biggest um, biggest super funds in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also one of the biggest investors in, um, you go around um, Docklands, etc. many of the buildings are CBUS, but all over the country, they're investing in big office blocks, commercial, um, commercial residential blocks. Again, this is workers' money mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a society where we're crying out for housing for so many people. It's, there's so many anomalies, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. There's going to have to be a major paradigm shift at some stage. I mean, we can't keep going on the way we are. I don't know how it's going to happen, whether or not there'll be an economic collapse, but it's just, yeah, it's just not sustainable. There's going to have to be some shift. I just don't know when it's going to happen. Mm. We could have, can only hope that it happens soon. 
Well, the point Howard raises that these meetings that are being held around the place are, are rising out of this latest move to get rid of um, public housing estates, or not get rid of them, yeah, but pretty well get rid of them. Um, he's turning quite uh, quite optimistic, which is good. He sign. is. I've never heard him sound so optimistic. No, and no. I think, yeah, I think people are starting to wake up. And if you look at the UK, where people are waking up there, and the rise of Corbyn and his increasing popularity, we can only hope that a similar movement starts to gain momentum here in Australia. Mm. Hard um, to imagine anyone in the Australian Labor Party managing to... Like I was just man. thinking about Bill Short and leading the <laughs> kids down the street. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my hopes of Scott Ludlam being that person have now been dashed, but uh, we won't go there. But um, I, just a quick, uh, a quick thing I just mentioned. For those people who are caught up in the private rental markets, there is a campaign by Environment Victoria to get more insulation into uh, rental homes. And apparently less than 50% of rental homes in Victoria have insulation. They're really just glorified tents, which is very true. Uh, That means thousands of Victorians are forced to choose between shivering through winter or wasting their money on heating a leaky, inefficient home. It's unfair. It means higher bills and more pollution. So Environment Victoria have got a campaign on because at the moment, the Victorian government are currently reviewing tenancy laws. So this is a once-in-a-decade opportunity. So if you're keen to get involved, go to the environmentvictoria.org.au website or you can contact their office on 93418112. It's an important issue. As I say, they are reviewing tenancy laws at the moment, so now is the time to put the pressure on to try and improve the lot for those who um, are forced to go into the private rental market. This is an area you're involved in, of course. Oops, um, this paper's going everywhere. Um, Shane, but, um, you know, again, we're in middle of winter now and, and people renting, older people particularly, anyone renting in the private sector, I mean, if you can't do much if the landlord doesn't put the proper heating in or puts expensive heating that you really can't afford. You're, you're stuck with it, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's in my own private rental as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're a, you're really you're not that old, really, are you? Not, not that old. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so, a younger person. Now, this latest um, this latest money you got again. What's the latest? Uh, what's the new position or new? Ah, uh, so it's it's an expansion of our retirement housing prog- program. Um, so we've got two full time workers now rather than one. Right. Uh, so anyone listening who's got a problem in retirement housing, please give us a call. Uh, nine six five four seven three eight nine. Right, yeah. Let's um, let's just repeat that number as people rush to get their pens. Pen found your pen. It's under something. Bit of paper. It's under something. Now got the pen and bit of paper number again. All right. It's nine six five four seven three eight nine. Well, it's the Housing for the Aged Action Group, and uh, they do a terrific job. And um, okay, Shane, look, thanks for coming in. It's nine fifty-eight. Joe will be wandering in shortly and telling me how old I am. No, that's all right. See you all next week, everyone. Thank you again. Thanks for having me.